This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. Everybody, welcome to Overdue. It's a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name's Andrew. And it is our August bonus episode. August, the second spookiest month in the calendar. Because you know it's spooky hell, and hell is hot, and it's hot in here. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say we're getting the August one right under the line, but it's only the 30th. August has 31 days. That's so true. Honestly, we're a little early, if anything. <laughs> really want to be honest about it we're going to be talking about suffer the children by craig de uh recommended to patreon donor glenn thank you glenn uh and uh yeah it's a it's a spooky book and i'm drinking the first pumpkin beer of the season so it really does feel like we're shaking the cobwebs out for spooktober or like putting the cobwebs up i'm not sure well oh, that's a good well you got to shake them out before you put them up Shake out last year's cobwebs and put out fresh ones. Do you take your cobwebs to the cleaners at the end of the season, or do you get them <laughs> clean when the season starts? Um, you, well, I, really, you should do both, because you don't want to put away dirty, nasty cobwebs, mm. but also you don't want to put them up smelling like the crawl space. <laughs> That's true. You don't want so, your cobwebs to smell. No um, shortcuts. For those of you not listening live, we are doing this with uh, some of our Patreon supporters in a live chat watching us do this. Um, you can find out more about that at patreon.com. Uh, Katie said that Halloween creep is spooky. I just realized how, yeah, Halloween's got a creep to it. And that's so fitting. I like it, though, because <laughs> Halloween's supposed to be creepy. <laughs> Santa is not supposed to be scary, except in Nightmare Before Christmas, I guess. Like, he, sh- he should stay where he goes. Yes. He's got his lane, but Halloween's coming for the rest of the year. I just feel that Santa and Jesus both need to stay in December where they belong and just let Halloween spread out. Yeah. And yeah. Thanksgiving, like, rest in peace, Thanksgiving. You had a good oh, run. But... Yeah. Thanksgiving is Black Friday Eve now. Mm-hmm. It, I mean, it's, it actually is part of Friday now for the most part. It's been subsumed. So let's talk about this spooky book. Um, Craig DeLouis is a contemporary author of a whole bunch of stuff. Like a lot of, yeah, a lot. So he's he's written a lot of self-published fiction. Like he, he, he has definitely worked also with major publishers. I think Suffer the Children came out in 2014 through Simon & Schuster. But he, yeah, he's been writing sort of, I don't want to, like, when I say potboiler horror, I don't want that to have the negative connotation that that usually has. Because I think we're on record as trying to respect those folks. What, like genre folks? uh, Yeah, genre folks a lot more than than normal folks do. Why does our stream have two thumbs down on it? I don't know. Who's out there, like, paying attention (laughs) to us doing this and also hating it? How's your night doing? I'm really self-conscious now. Um, But yeah, so he's been writing in his spare time because, among other things, he is also a commercial writer in the North American lighting industry, Andrew. Mm -hmm. Um, He has written articles for many magazines. He has also spoken at Light Fair, which I presume to be some sort of lighting convention, Mm-hmm. And he was a co-presenter of the seminar, quote, what's new in lamps and ballasts? Like, someone's <laughs> got a new in lamps and ballasts? <laughs> and I, res- I, w- I just want to give a shout out to Craig DeLouis and his lighting service because, like, somebody's got to turn on the lights. Can't be spooked over all year round. Someone's got to light it. Oh, yeah. People are giving us thumbs up now. There we go. There I'm we go. still a little confused about <laughs> how that happened. Oh, wait. One of them was me. <laughs> You dullard. I don't know why. 
Now, yeah, so you just, just removed, went fishing okay. for thumbs up because you poisoned the well. Oh, this is a false flag. God. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> for those interested, Glenn. Now has, the other one's gone. Man, what is going on? Glenn has informed us that Light Fair is coming to Philadelphia next year if, if you are so inclined. Um, Interesting. Andrew, what else do you know about Mr. DeLouis? Uh, life with life with Delui over here, if you will. Um, yeah. So as we talked about, he's an author of popular thriller, apocalyptic slash horror, and sci-fi slash fantasy fiction. Um, and I'll just read his description of himself from his website and also his Goodreads page. In hundreds of reviews, Craig's novels have been praised for their strong characters, action, and gritty realism. Each book promises an exciting experience with people you'll care about in a world that feels real. These works have been nominated for major literary awards, such as the Bram Stoker Award and Audio Award. Both of those were for um, Suffer the Children, incidentally. Yeah. Um, Translated into multiple languages, an option for film. He is a member of the HWA, International Thriller Writers, and IFWA. So that's pretty much what you do, what it is. <laughs> what it is, Mr. DeLouis. Um, you mentioned that, like, in his Goodreads bio, it shouts out apocalyptic fiction. So, like, I found a, a blog post or an interview with him on My Bookish Ways, I think. He was doing, he did a pretty good, like, tour of the genre fiction like market and press tour like lots of lots of interviews with him on suffer the children um and he said i enjoy writing apocalyptic fiction during a major disaster the best and worst of humanity are on full display with uh and there's a sense of zeitgeist that the world has changed forever and this is the new world and i thought i hadn't really thought we've talked about apocalypse stuff before um but i really liked that he coined it that like in that zeitgeist way because that is when it's working when those stories are working there is a sense of like everything is defined by this event it's not a like small town or like a campground or something it is like how would the entirety of humanity change if this thing happened yeah like it, it is a way to um I don't know, to very forcibly take someone from their normal circumstances. And that's like, that's the thing that happens in a lot of stories anyway. It's like, uh, yeah, yeah. Somebody, somebody has to deal with something they don't deal with every day. And then the apocalypse <laughs> makes you do that really good. Sure. There's a, um, there is a chart and I was not going <laughs> to reference it because I don't think it's like super, I don't know. The, the source of the data is not, <laughs> is not listed. <laughs> Okay. But this chart on best-side-fi-books.com mm -hmm. slash 21-best-post-apocalyptic-science-fiction-books um, indicates that there are spikes in um, apocalypse fiction around like the 50s. So like post-bomb. Oh. Um, around 1980, which it attributes to plague and danger from space. And I'm like... What like Did we discover rape? plagues and space in the eighties? <laughs> I don't know if that's and then and then they say now we're worried about everything, war, viruses, natural global disasters, genetically modified humans, computers run amok, you name it, young adult apocalypse is especially popular. Um Young so Adult Apocalypse like... is a, a band I wanna see real good. <laughs> um Yeah, no, I'm so he says that too. Um the same interview. DeLouis says, as for where horror is headed as a genre, I think we're going to continue to see a lot more apocalyptic fiction, which I believe has something to do with a desire for catharsis during times of social and economic uncertainty. Uh, and there's certainly some of that woven into this book, like explicitly, like characters commenting on things that are in the not quite in the news today from a like a literal rip from the headlines, but like. The types of anxieties you see being reported on in your day-to-day -day life are the types that are like behind why characters are doing the things they do in this particular apocalypse. Mm -hmm. um, people are getting squeezed and uh, they speak to a couple characters in particular. So we'll get into that. Um, I also a like, question. I have a question. Yeah, hit me. Do you think is the purge apocalypse fiction? Because it's like a temporary apocalypse, right? <laughs> You know the movie The Purge? I do. I'm familiar with The Purge franchise. <laughs> uh, I think it probably is vaguely apocalyptic. 
Um, certainly in comparison with this book, I think it jives well with with a definition of apocalypse. Because so to contrast it with some different apocalyptic fiction, this book doesn't have a major time jump. Like it doesn't. Um, I'm thinking of Justin Cronin's The Passage that we read years ago, uh, where like, oh, a bunch of stuff goes down and vampires are real now and let's jump generations into the future and now you're going to like experience the world as it is remade. Uh, This book is all the like 40 days of what went down, which some apocalyptic fiction does that and some doesn't. Um, But I think the purge is like you're in the moment on the day. Mm-hmm. I've never seen a Purge movie. <laughs> Tysavine says, I don't think the Purge counts as temporary if they keep having them over and over. And over <laughs> it's over periodic, not temporary. <laughs> sure. <laughs> My regular apocalypse, it's called. It's just an, it's an apocalypse with clear set boundaries, and I appreciate that. About sure. About sure. the Purge. Yeah. This um, week's episode of Overdue brought to you by the, the first Purge <laughs> in theaters. Purge. Sometime? Maybe it came out already? There's also a Purge TV show coming. It has a Baldwin on it. Ooh. So, so Katie... Most purgeable Baldwin. Katie just asked, um, is apocalypse fiction different from post-apocalyptic fiction? And that's probably what I'm getting at, right? I think, yeah, I think subtly because some... Like, if you're if you're talking about, like, your World War Zs or your Walking Deads, mm-hmm. there is apocalypse fiction where the point is, like, you living through the transition, and then there's apocalypse fiction where, like the previous society is gone to the point of like being either totally forgotten or like twisted and, and sort of mythologized yes. in, a, yes. in a weird way. Yes. Um, but my understanding of this one is that it's like, while it's happening. Yeah. You're in it for mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. Um, should we just get into the book? Yeah. Let's, uh, suffer some children. Oh, let's suffer some children. <laughs> uh, so, DeLui seems like he he likes to s- come up with his books with a pretty clear pitch. Like, he's pretty good at the elevator pitch. Do you have other examples for me, or am I bringing um, this on you unawares? A little unawares, but, like, the his other, what it's called <laughs> One of Us, I think, is the, his other most recent book that seems to be doing well. Mm-hmm. And it's like, what if everyone became monsters? Would you, would you treat them differently um, sure i'm like probably like what if am i a monster too <laughs> i don't know i haven't read the books <laughs> i can't tell you but it's very likely mm-hmm. um this book he and i say that he's got the good pitch because it it is repeated in a number of interviews that he gave about this book um but he's basically like how far would you go for your kids he says, I'd put my arm in my sh- in a shredder for my kids, a lot of folks say. They'd make any sacrifice to protect them, which is noble. Okay, but would they put someone else's arm in a shredder? Two peoples? More? Is that still a noble act, or is it evil? Or does the answer depend on whether you're standing, or where you're standing, maybe? Would you put someone's arm in a shredder to feed your starving family? Yeah. It's just a weird ethics experiment. It that's and that is what the book is like. the The book, at its best, is delivering on a couple different iterations of that question of mm-hmm. setting up some characters who then have to reckon with how far they'll go. Um, in in response to this, like how far is too far for your kids? Mm-hmm. Um, I think. At its weakest, the the characters are a little flat. They're a little confined by their basic premises. Yeah, in in the couple of reviews that I found, I think that that was commented on is like the the concept is really strong, but the characters don't always like don't always do the most with it that they they could. Well, and I also think like based on what I can glean from his style, that is. Uh, a little bit not what he's interested in. Um, if I you... mean, his website, though, says that Craig's novels have been praised for <laughs> their strong characters, action, and gritty I realism. Think the, I think the premises of the characters are strong. 
Is it confusing um, to have him, Craig, and you, Craig? Should no, he be Craig 1 and you can be Craig 2? That seems perfectly reasonable. He has okay, published great. many books. He can be Craig 1. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so let's get into these characters, um, and, and that'll introduce us to what the what is actually happening sure. in this book. So From one review I found, Joan Cooper is a mother of two and runs a small daycare service in her home. Her husband, Doug, is a garbage man <laughs> and rounds out her small family. Now, is he a man who collects garbage? Is he a garbage man? It's not clear from the from this. So they, please fill me in. I think two things can be true. <laughs> in all fairness to Doug, I think he becomes a garbage man uh, in one way and starts as a garbage man in another way. Okay. So the book opens. Um, We're introduced to Joan, who runs this daycare out of her house. She's got two kids. Um, there's some like language about her, like always wanting to be a stay at home mom and a wife. And some of the, the ways that DeLui writes, um, the women in this book feel like he is really trying to explore stuff, but because the characters are a little more one note than you might want, like it can feel a little rougher than I probably think he thinks it does. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Like, It's like introduce a character who is aware of changing social mores and is really comfortable being at home and raising her kids. And why should that be a problem? Contrast her with this woman, Ramona, um, whose kid Josh is in the daycare, who is a like single mom, working woman. She works in HR. Shout out to HR. Um, And... My mom works in HR. Shout out to HR. You know HR is to protect the company and not you, right? My mom protects people all the time. (laughs) Um, Here's here's a contrast. So I'm an uh, HR truther. (laughs) Early in the book, um, Ramona's kid Josh like gets a little sick at uh, Joan's house, and you're not sure why. And you're like, oh, is the book going to kick off? You you don't really know. Um, And Ramona goes over there to like raise a little bit of hell. And this is what this is what we get from Ramona's close third person perspective. Mm-hmm. A worried Joan opened the door. Ramona was struck again by the contrast between them. While she herself was tall and thin and pale with long red hair, Joan was big and curvy, dressed in jeans and a blue and gray lion's sweatshirt. End of paragraph. <laughs> like, and then we move on. Now, Truly, they are they're <laughs> they are wildly different people. <laughs> um, uh, and I will I'll cop to taking that out of context. Um, if only because you've gotten a chapter of Ramona and you've gotten a chapter of Joan, so you do know the differences between the two of them. It's It was just kind of funny that that's what Ramona was remarking on in that moment. Um, so some of that stuff is a little shallower than, than you might want. Um, mm-hmm. But Doug and Joan, um, Doug does work for a, tra- a waste disposal company. So what, he's in the mob. He's mobbed up. He's not mobbed up. Um and his opening scene is being told by his boss that they're going to get some new garbage trucks that are more efficient. And Doug is worried about maybe losing his job down the line. He's going to be rendered obsolete by the garbage trucks. Okay. I guess if it has like an arm that can yes. grab the can or something. Yes. Okay. Sure. And then if people don't put the cans out, they don't pick up the trash because screw them. <laughs> like that's what he said. Well, yeah, I mean, that's the attitude of garbage men, regardless <laughs> of how modern true. their trucks are. Um, so Doug is like, we meet him and he's like, I'm a provider. I provide for my family. I got this job and, you know, maybe my life could have been a little bit different, but I'm happy to to make money for my kids, even if that means picking up garbage. And I worked hard to drive the garbage truck and now this garbage truck doesn't want me. <laughs> it's going to oh, suck. Who drives the truck? What's he worried about? Well, but they might cut down and they, maybe they'll they'll promote a younger guy who doesn't get paid as much as Doug. You know, get one of them Elon Musk self-driving, self-driving garbage, garbage trucks. trucks. Oh, God. That's just Wally, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Um. So Doug is introduced to us early on as like sort of your economic anxiety guy. Like he is a, he is distrustful of big institutions and the government, and wants to make sure his family gets his. Um. So just just put put that in the back of your brain. Keep, keep an eye on that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the third set of characters that we meet is this guy David and his wife Nadine. David and Nadine had a kid. Uh, 
that died in a car accident uh, almost a year ago when the book starts. I like that anniversary. It works pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, and David is a doctor, uh, and his wife like works in the office with him. And we meet him as he is like doing pre... You're going to have to tell me what's going on in the chat in just a second. Sound I just want Kirk, to tell you about David. Hold on. Okay, fine. Um, Kirk said something bad. Uh-oh. <laughs> I don't know if I want to encourage it. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, no, just read it out loud. Just tell me about A garbage man afraid of being displaced by technology is a crudite. <laughs> okay, thanks, Kirk. Why don't you just let us crack the jokes over here, Kirk? <laughs> thanks, Kirk. <laughs> Um, but David is trying to get back into his job as a pediatrician. Um, he lost a lot of clients after his kid died and he couldn't work for a period of time. Um, and so he is meeting with pregnant women to do like free trials before they have their kids in the hopes of like turning them into customers, (laughs) which he recognizes is like a little crass, but it's, it's what he's going to do. Um, so we've gotten these characters, their kids in the mix. Worth noting that Dave and Nadine don't have a kid. And all of the chapters are from a particular character's like close third person point of view. Like uh, syntax will change. They will talk to each, like they'll talk to themselves um, and you're getting things from their perspective. And each chapter also has a like time marker. Um, I believe the first one is um, like 20 hours to the Herod event mm-hmm. and you're 23 hours before Herod event. And that changes as we jump from chapter to chapter. So you're like, Oh, what's the Herod event? What's going to happen? What's going down? Um, here's what the Herod event is. So one day, Andrew, uh-huh. all the kids on the planet earth just start dying. Now, do you, can you define kid? Like, is it specific about, like how young or the like book, is there... the book takes a little while to explain itself, but you do find out that anyone who has not gone through puberty has died. And it does take uh, like two days to wrap around the globe, though. I think it does start like in L.A. Unexplained why it starts <laughs> in L.A. <laughs> Typical. <laughs> like so. Uh, each set of characters like has a scene going on while this happens so that they can like either hear the news on TV like David does at a restaurant um, and he, and his wife is like, surely this will happen in Michigan. And then people start screaming. So it does. Don't call me Shirley. Um, and then. Uh, <laughs> dang it. Uh, and then cut to. Uh, Doug, who is at the park with his kids and they like fall down as all the other kids fall down. Um, cut to Ramona, who is at the mall with her son. Um, Ramona has had a meet cute with a guy that she fired right before she had to run out of the office to to visit her sick son. Mm-hmm. Um, this guy Ross, and he becomes a recurring. I did not expect him to become a recurring character until she ran into him at the mall and was like, "I'm sorry, I had to fire you like that." And he's like, "Nah, it's cool. I had another job lined up." Ross seems like he's fine. I mean, I guess the economy must be good. I don't know. <laughs> seems like it's pretty good in this book. Um, but all of these characters in one way, shape, or form uh, see or hear about this Herod event that they are calling the Herod event as the book very uh, is, is directly tells you. Uh, someone coined it after King Herod, who what, Andrew? Tell me about King Herod. He was a guy. Um, yep. <laughs> okay. I, yeah, I looked. I looked him up. I knew. I knew it was King Herod, and what it's referencing specifically is um, the massacre of the innocents, which is this biblical event in the book of um, Matthew, I think, where to try and kill baby Jesus because he's a like he's prophesied to be a threat to Herod's power. Herod decides to kill all the young male babies like under the age of two. Um, and yeah, that's that's the thing. That's what it's what it's referencing. Um, sure. So as far as like just to just to get into a like a Herod related cul-de-sac, I guess. <laughs> um, 
So the only historical source we have for this is the Bible. Like there's there's another oh, sure. historian, uh, Josephus, who was working around the same time. And he was not shy about saying bad things about Herod. Like when Herod killed his own kids and like his mother-in-law, mother-in-law and stuff, like Josephus was all over it. <laughs> but Josephus doesn't say anything about Huh. This and so there, there is a contingent of of modern scholars who'd say, you know, this this was purely a a thing that was sort of invented to be part of like a prophecy fulfillment thing. Interesting. Um, okay. For early Christianity, and then there's another contingent who say, well, you know, no, nothing in that account is historically impossible. And it's also like more or less consistent with the final years of his reign and the scale of of the killing. Like there would not have been that many young yeah. male babies in like Bethlehem at the sure. time. It would have been distinctly um, possible. Yeah. Yeah, it would have been small enough that Josephus maybe wouldn't have recorded it down. Hmm. So yeah, those those are the two like competing schools of thought. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Um so like it's kind of neat. I do like that it is called the Herod event and that they end because yeah, you wouldn't want it like the the whoever discovered it wouldn't want to have it named after them. No, so it's not. Why not name it after somebody whose brand is already like pretty pretty bad? bad? Yeah, it's <laughs> not like Andrew's child killer disease. Like it's not named after. It's not the Cunningham effect, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But it also works because over the course of the book, like. The the virus that causes it, even though they never fully explain what it does, um, it does it is a like living parasite of some kind that is sucking the blood out of these kids, and it it kills them all. And I'm gonna tell you what happens next, but uh, the parasite is not like a character that you can interact with, right? Like it's all of the characters that are like dangerous are both the like adults who are trying to live and like the kids who are trying to sort of live again and um you don't really have room for a clear antagonist and so i really like actually that like naming it like this mm-hmm. means that characters can like refer to it in a way that i think we all would in some of the, in in a way similar to how um in a disaster scenario like folks refer to like a hurricane in it, like mm-hmm. they personify the force that is happening. Sure. Um, things like that. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, so it's not like it's not like that, like big germ from those cold medicine commercials. It might be, it or it be. might be that thing that's under people's toes in those commercials. That like oh, no. fungus monster. <laughs> yeah. People in the chat are asking what the Cunningham effect would be. It's people are sort of gradually setting on it being <laughs> pun related what if you could only communicate in puns i feel like that's my blessing and my curse you know <laughs> yeah you are kind of stuck that way <laughs> um so the the event when all the kids die is really awful <laughs> and we, okay, i'm really wow, glad <laughs> i'm really glad that we are having a lot of laughs right now because uh delui is not <laughs> Just to balance out how how bad it is, because... We can De- still make this fun. Yeah, we're having a good time. DeLuey mm-hmm. is not a... I wouldn't call him a grotesque writer. Um, the He's not overly graphic, though the stuff that he describes characters doing or dealing with just makes you, like, think real hard about how awful that would be. So even the scene, like, you don't see anything really awful happen when the kids die except you're like with Doug in the park and his son is like skating and all of the kids start falling down and no one knows why and he's like running to quote unquote save him because he doesn't know what's happening and then his like his kid just falls on the ice and breaks his face and is like covered in blood and he's like Mm -hmm. i'm gonna take him home i guess like no one Uh knows what to do Mm -hmm. um ramona's son josh who collapses in the mall um he's like something he says to her something's eating me mommy and she's like what's eating you and he goes he just says tool set because they were in line for santa and then he dies (laughs) (laughs) what 
so most the book like calls out that like most of the parents don't know what to do with like the last thing their kids said to them because it's just like an errant like particle zipping in their brain tool set he wanted a bob the builder tool set from santa claus man i really like what would your last words be when you what so i haven't thought i haven't thought about it yet to to be totally honest (laughs) have not thought about it yet but i feel like once i get over like 80 or 85 years old i'm just gonna say like I'm just going to read from a list of cool things, like occasionally just on the off chance that I'm about to kick it. Oh, that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, what if, oh, I think every day I'm going to read the lyrics to Smash Mouth songs. So just on the off chance. You think you're going to do that or are you already? I'm going to be more diligent that. about it and I might mm. dip a little deeper into the catalog than usual. If you had if the rule was that you had to pick your last words from the lyrics to All-Star which which ones would you? I mean, are you finding me dying cuz it's just going to be hey now. <laughs> like I just if you are like Craig, what's the, wrong? Oh, man, that would and be I the ultimate like, like jerk hey move now. is for you to get All-Star stuck in my head as your final like, dying act. Really good. Gonna bury you in the back streets. <laughs> hey, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with that? <laughs> um, so what happens in this book? The kids are all dead. It sucks. It's really horrible. Uh Graham in the chat said maybe I'll read this book when my kids are 40. I would strongly recommend it. That the emotional impact of realizing that every child on earth is dead is pretty rough. And only the teens are left, which frankly is just a raw deal for everybody, yes. I think. Uh, we only see a few teens in the book. Uh, most of them are pretty ineffectual. Um, mm-hmm. As I said, Doug is a garbage man. And uh, they have they are soliciting people like garbage men to pitch in uh, with the effort to collect all of the dead kids. Sure. I mean, they got the equipment. They got the expertise. Because the funeral homes are all filled up. Um, and there's nowhere to put all the kids, so they're gonna build some. They're just gonna make some big holes in the ground. Uh, ninety thousand kids died in the county where the people in this book live, and they're just gonna put them in there. And uh, it's gonna take a little while. It's been like two days. Uh, most people have their kids just like wrapped in plastic in their garage, uh, to like prevent decomposition, I suppose. Um. And it's a pretty dark passage of the book where folks are like, you know, they don't want to keep living. No one's going to work. Doug's talking to people at the body collection group where they're like, yeah, just think about it. Like there's whole portions of our GDP are around like making stuff for kids. And like even if we start having kids now, it's going to be 12 years before we have there's gonna be a whole twelve years of no kids in school. So what are the teachers gonna like? The world's boned. Just think about it. Uh huh. Um. So that's neat. That's a cool thing to think about. Well, and who's gonna wanna have kids? Like, who's gonna wanna go through all the like truly all all the effort and there's effort involved. I hear mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in in conceiving a child and then like having it. And then, like, who knows what's going to happen? I think you'd just be you'd be worried until puberty, and then you'd be simultaneously relieved and horrified because <laughs> now you have you've teen. gotten past the worst part, but also the worst part has only just begun. Yeah. So I didn't. Uh, I I meant to give a little bit of a content warning beginning of this guy because this book is a bummer and it sucks in some ways. And uh, just tread lightly if if this book kind of is like really bumming you out. Um, but. Remember when I said that David was was working with pregnant women, Andrew? Uh-huh. Uh he first meets with the, he meets with a woman and she has not had any kicking and there's no heartbeat and her kid also seems to be dead. Her unborn child seems to be dead. Okay. And there are no more births being reported on the news. So people are like Did that happen? <laughs> Well, in a world where CNN being like, hey, all right, here's just a list of births. (laughs) I mean, maybe not the Child News Network, but uh, 
I mean, I think in a world where all the kids died within like two days, you might put new kids on the news. Sure, I guess. Like thinking in, in like sort of a Handmaid's Tale or like Children of Men sort of situation. Kind of scenario. Yeah. yeah. Um, but they are learning that the everyone has this parasite, but it only affects kids who haven't gone through puberty because puberty does something weird to your body that changes all the chemicals in it. <laughs> yeah, it does. <laughs> uh, David says that like they haven't had enough time to research it yet, trying to find what exactly about puberty would make you immune to the blood part um, is like trying to find a needle in a haystack. So like, it, it, it's also a thing in this book that the time compression... Um, explains how much limited information is and explains some of the behavior for what happens next. Mm-hmm. So kids start coming back, Andrew. Okay. After about, I think it's like three or four days, um, there's people at like a vigil. I think uh, Ramona's there. She's now like her and Ross are an item now and um, they're at the vigil and all of a sudden her boy Josh has climbed out of the ground or wherever he was and is like, mom, why are you kissing that man? And she's like, my kid's alive. And David is working in a hospital collecting samples that they can send to the CDC to study these dead kids. And some of the kids start waking up. Not the ones that were cut open, but I would think some of the ones that were only partially cut open. Just think about that. Craig DeLouis. I don't want to think about it. <laughs> there is stuff in this book that I do not want to think about. Okay, so zombie, we're at zombie kids. We are at zombie, zombie kids. Yeah, it's very pet cemetery, as Kirk is noting. Yeah. Uh, the kids are coming back, and their Kid bodies cemetery. are rotting. It's gross. Um, also keep in mind, Andrew, Doug gets a call in the morning about this. They buried a bunch of those kids already. Uh-huh. So there's a bunch of them in the dirt that we need to <laughs> dig up. Without hurting them, I guess. <laughs> it sucks. How do you hurt something that's dead already? Okay, well, you could great. break its bones. I don't know. Sure. Um, David is also inspecting some of the kids. They don't have any vital signs. They don't seem to feel pain. Um, Why is he? He's a garbage man. Why? Is no, he... no, that's Doug. That's oh, Doug. I'm and sorry, I got my D names. G, G at the end of Doug for garbage. D at the end of David for doctor. Perfect. That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> makes a lot of sense. Um, and the kids come back, and they're sort of rotting, but they're alive. And then they slowly start to go catatonic, and no one knows why. Like they're not moving, they're not responding to anything. I can, I can guess. I got a couple guesses as to why. But their eyes still like move. They still react to stuff sometimes. And Josephine's asking about the unborn ones. Um, so uh, David checks in on this pregnant patient that he's checking in with throughout the throughout the book, and she is uh, becoming anemic, and she's eating all the stuff she's supposed to eat, and she is taking all her vitamins, but she is like losing weight while she's pregnant, even though she could feel the baby kicking inside of her. Um, yeah. It's a bad scene. So you, yeah, I know the entire chat is losing their minds. I keep waiting for like we've. I keep waiting for the number of people who are watching this chat to just collapse, <laughs> or all the thumbs downs to come back. Um, so I just want to read you just a little passage from uh from Joan's perspective, because uh David's wife Nadine talking to some friends of hers thinks she's found the cure for the catatonic state but she won't tell anyone what it is. She will pay Joan a house visit. (laughs) I'm just watching the chat. Just keep going. (laughs) She will pay Joan a house visit to help her um, with her kids. And Joan is thinking to herself as Nadine's over there. She's like, hmm, I think I should tell Nadine about this thing that happened. So here's a thing that happened to to Joan while she was asleep. Her, Her zombie son, Nate, who has heretofore not been moving, woke her up by standing next to her bed. What is it, Nate? Do you need a drink of water, she said. Air rattled in his chest like a tiny motor trying to start. Are you all right? 
Froth bubbled at his lips. Next to her, Doug snored. Blood, Nate wheezed. Blood? (laughs) Want it. What for? He didn't answer. He turned into a statue again. Then she noted, noticed his mouth was still moving, puckering like a fish on land. She brought her ear closer to his face to hear blood, 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 blood. I don't like this at all. This sucks. So she she pricks her thumb, and he drinks some blood from her thumb. And he becomes a real boy for a hot second. It's like, hey, mom, I love you. And then he immediately, like, a few minutes later, becomes a zombie boy again. Like an unmoving zombie boy. Wait, so what, Okay, so what is physically happening to these these kids as they, so as they do this? So for every like- pint of blood that you put down a baby's mouth, it will <sighs> be a real boy for, like, an hour. This is what they learn through trial and error. That's not very long. No, it's not. And you can't regenerate. So what starts happening is that people start like tapping their own veins and like putting blood in in bags and then like giving them to their kids. Um, what what sort of stops getting explained is like the part where the kids' bodies were like rotting, um, and if they keep getting the blood, they they seem to like have like a twilight vampire thing where like all of a sudden they're beautiful kids again. <laughs> parts underexplained um it, it there's a little bit of an info dump towards the end of the book where david tells us that the bacteria or whatever it is has created like something in these kids bodies that is thirsty for the blood allows them to eat the blood and is like slowly rewiring their brain to just be blood monsters like blood vampire monsters so <laughs> Your face right now is does it, it's does it need to be human blood or can they go like um, full David Boreanaz funny, and drink funny funny you blood? should ask so at one point Doug who initially can't believe that his kids drink blood now um has fully flipped and is like I'm gonna get my kids all the blood they need <laughs> he uh Doug kills his dog and tries to feed his kid dog blood and his zombie and his kid, kid turns into a dog no his 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 uh his kid pukes up all the dog blood and gets sick um so it has because to you be you fed your kid dog blood <laughs> it has to be human blood um yeah this book's real upsetting everybody okay, so graham graham asks an interesting question and and from the reviews i've read i don't know that the book actually goes to this place but because um, because I think it's more concerned with the parenting angle, like what Heck would you yeah. do to get blood for your kid? But Graham asks, um, do they hit an imperialism metaphor with this anywhere? Because I promise you, that's where this world, where this would rapidly go as soon as blood became a resource. So, like, if you're yeah. talking about it okay. on a societal scale, yeah. surely these societies with power would begin exploiting the societies without it. Sure. So blood. yeah, that's so we're cl- we get close to that actually. So part three of the book um, is effectively everyone waiting for the blood to run out. Like the world is like this is happening so fast. We still haven't eat haven't really even hit like a month since the kids have all been resurrected for the first time. Um, that the government hasn't even really responded. Like no one knows what the government's doing. Um, so. Like, Doug joins a vigilante blood bank robbing team. Mm-hmm. Um, the blood bandits. Yep. Ramona uh, ends up buying some blood uh, that people, that like t- some teen is selling. And then, <laughs> uh, and then we get a really dark, like, the latter third of this book feels very like late stage Stephen King where like the rule all bets are off and characters are just making terrible choices all over the place like this one guy makes Ramona trade sex for blood and that kind of unlocks a thing in her brain where that's a thing you can do now um Ross isn't into it so she kills Ross for his blood I feel like that's that's kind of short-sighted I think if you keep him alive and just kind of leech some blood out of him. Yep. Like if well, you if you give a man some blood, 
his kid, his zombie child will have blood for a day. I need to just tell you. And then if you you teach a man to blood, I just need to tell you. I want. (laughs) I'll get back to the societal. Teach a man of blood. I'll I'll get back to the societal thing in a second. I just want to zoom in on this scene with Ramona where she kills Ross because they try to have a normal date night. It's been a weird few weeks. Zombie kid is asleep upstairs, and Ross is like, "Can we just have some wine and some chicken and like chillax?" And it's not working. And he's like, listen, I think we need to break up because you spend all your time with your zombie kid giving it blood. And she's like, um, I know I have a zombie kid who needs blood. Like, what do you want? And he's like, oh, you wouldn't like trade sex for it or something. And then she makes a face and he's like, oh, you did it already. And then she's like, I'm not crazy. I'm doing this for my kid. She ki- she hits him with a frying pan, thinks to herself, first she had to get his blood. He would have wanted that. That's uh-huh. a direct quote. Sure. And then as she is stashing the body, she literally says, it's not you, it's me. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think DeLouis knows what he's doing. He's trying to get that laugh. Um, so Ramona's, Ramona is like is telling us how this society like how she is a person of means, but she can still get taken advantage of. Um, Joan sees a bunch of women like jump a rich woman in a supermarket and like beat her up and I then all her blood. Yeah, they do. I do feel like, so, you know, that stereotype where like a man meets a woman and then he finds out that she has a kid Yeah, and he's like, Oh no, no, no. I didn't know you had a kid. Like I'm not interested anymore. Yeah. I think this is the world where that becomes completely a hundred percent acceptable. I think so. I think like, so. oh, you have a zombie kid. Well, I'm not into that. Cool. Like, I barely have any blood. My blood. <laughs> my blood's I'm, bad. My blood sucks. Um, and so David, uh, David has a doctor friend, um, who is the one who roped him into chopping up those kids, and they realize that the kids are still alive-ish, and their parents are going to be mad at them for if. So, like, imagine all the kids come back to life. But some of the kids got chopped up for research and incinerated. You're going to be in trouble. Is this how you get, is this what Thing from the Adams Family is? Is Oh, maybe. Kid hand. It could be a child's hand, yes. Uh Um, And David has a run-in as he's like getting in trouble with his his buddy Ben and stuff. He has a run-in with police in this world who have started rounding up homeless people to take their blood. And they are also kind of arresting people who get in their way. And so local government is falling apart. It's unclear to me who's going to work at all. But this this is like a an explicit like, here's how a power structure would get abused in this society. Mm-hmm. Um, where they would kidnap people. They put, they're like, they're literally wearing pig masks to hide their identities, which may be a bit much. Um, and they've written on a chalkboard, blood equals parole. And then they are strapping that seems you. also a little on the nose. <laughs> they are strapping you to a table. No, uh, Tysveen, the uh, ashes do not reanimate because I think you've killed the virus. I think, um, like, you can kill them and then you can extra kill them. Yes. Yes, because if they do not, what they do learn is without enough blood, frequently enough, the bodies will decay um, and the kids will die a second death. So all of the parents are just being like, we're basically on borrowed time because I cannot give any more blood. Um, And that's where we get into this. Like people are stealing blood. People are killing each other for blood. Um, There's riots in Detroit. As the National Guard tries to quell like the blood trade, um, it's pretty messy and bad. They also mm-hmm. use up most of the conventionally available medical supplies. So, like towards the end of the book, when David is helping people like extract blood for their kids, they're just putting it in Ziploc bags and saying, "Go for it, like have a good time." It's pretty bad, pretty bad. So. I hate this. Yeah. Uh-huh. I don't have any follow-up. <laughs> okay. This so 
Um, this is a deep cut for folks who've been listening to the show for a while. A deep cut, so we get like the most <laughs> blood out of the. Wounds. I was um not surprised to discover in interviews and in reading review blurbs of this book to find the name Jack Ketchum the man Jack who Ketchum wrote all. the man who wrote a book called The Girl Next Door that almost made me vomit for this very podcast because it was so gross and horrific he likes this book <laughs> So it is of a piece, the the terribleness that you're feeling is explicitly part of the book's design because um, it does not reach a happy conclusion and things get worse for our characters over and over and over again. Um, I just, it's uncomfortable mm-hmm. to think about, not only because it's like, just thinking about a a like child character uh like undergoing pain or decomposing or whatever like that's tough i think reading the the story i am reminded of various horror movies and kind of that that mid budget horror movie that's like not trying to make a splash it's just trying to like people want to make a movie about a cool idea that they had um this feels like that and it's very it's like it's successful in its lane for the most part um but it, when you're in the book rather than watching it on screen like the reality of what is happening to these kids is like really rough uh, yeah and like they're little weird parasites you need blood all the time yeah and the thing that starts happening also is that each um because they're not getting enough, their brains are degrading. So every time they quote unquote resurrect after they like go to blood sleep or whatever, um, they're more like an animal. And there's like a scene where uh, Doug's son, Nate, is just like screaming and cursing up a storm and like breaking everything in the living room because he wants blood so much. Like they're not Pinocchio boys anymore. Um, They're evil little monster kids. And so the the book comes to a conclusion with a with a really violent encounter between all of our main characters at the doctor's house because the doctor doesn't want to extract blood anymore um the government has announced that they have created some sort of synthetic blood but it's going to take a month for it to be ready and Doug is like well all the rich people are going to get the blood this sucks I got to do what I can to keep my kids alive until this happens and I can get my hands on some blood. And he has a friend who's like, hey, I'll give you some. And he's like, I got to take him to this doctor and try to get the blood out of my friend. Um, The doctor doesn't want to do it. Things get violent. Uh, People start dying. It's a bad scene. And then it ends with like all of the kids going ultra violent and like not just waiting around to be fed if you right know what yeah I like mean. i i would think that and i i guess it it sounds like society's kind of falling apart people are not making like decisions that are in the best interests of the group but it feels like you could like especially as your kid became not your kid and more like an animal yeah. You could see where this is going to end up eventually. And that's and Doug and Joan actually have a split. So I actually like they start out the book pretty much in lockstep. Like that's a pretty solid marriage even though they're in a, some precarious situations um like financially and stuff like that, but they seem to have each other's back. And they both and have like a lot of blood in them. They have blood in them, <laughs> which is like a thing they have in common. Uh-huh. Um and initially, like, they both kind of get on board with giving the kids blood all the time. And, you know, they spend their time with their kids as much as they can. Um, but as things start to deteriorate, Joan is like, listen, they're starting to they're starting to die again. And there's we're going to run out of blood. Let's let them go. They'll rest in peace. They'll go to heaven or whatever. Doug's like, screw that. I got to keep my kids with me. Not sure I believe in your heaven, lady. Um, I'm going to go, I might have to kill some people to get this blood if that's necessary. So you start to see like, um, while Graham's earlier question was good about like how the larger 
powers in the world might deal with this. We don't really get a window into that. What we do get a window into is like there's you know a community of people that slowly starts to break down into just families of people. And then even within those families, this thing creates divisions of like what would what are you willing to do? What are you not willing to do? Um, and there's like a moment even towards the end of the book where they're on their way to fight about getting blood out of somebody. And like Ramona is telling Joan, like, you don't understand how many times I failed my kid because I'm a career minded single mom and I couldn't be with him all the time and I feel terrible about it. And so it's like this like. Yeah, kids are eating everyone, but let's check in on the real theme of the book, which is parenting. <laughs> like it's it is woven in there. Um but it's really about like how these units of of society like break down as you really focus in on your on your kids and what you need for your kids. Um it doesn't end well. We don't get to a part where there's a cure. Um, though David knows that if there was ever a cure, it would have to be given to all the adults and then we'd have to like give birth to new clean kids. Um, clean kids. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and we don't get a window into that because the last chapter of the book, so every chapter has like a character's name, um, as the title for whose perspective we're in. And things go pretty bad for our main characters. And then the last chapter is just from, quote-unquote, Herod's perspective. And it's following a a kid as he's running around with a bunch of other blood-seeking kids. Okay, yeah, I was going to ask if we ever got a POV chapter from a blood kid. We get some two-thirds of the way through. It's actually really well-placed because you've reached... You haven't quite gotten into the part where... um, the kids are going feral and everyone's worrying about societal collapse. You're still in the like honeymoon phase of your blood kid uh-huh. family. And you're seeing, you get one from Nate, one from uh, Josh and one from Megan, the three different kids that we spend time with. And Nate is the oldest and he's aware that he dies every hour. Like every, after t- every time he's awake for an hour and it sucks and he doesn't like it. Mm-hmm. Um, we get a shot from Megan where we start to see that she like doesn't remember stories that her parents are telling her. And we get a shot from Josh where he's just kind of increasingly getting angry and disturbed. Um, those chapters I think are, are written as well. Like I'm not always a huge fan of like writing from a kid's perspective because it can feel a little cheesy, but they just know that they are trying to eat and they're always hungry all the time. Um, the blood thing seems to be coming out of a parasite at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, it's well timed because it's like it's right when everything else in the book is starting to break, mm-hmm. and so it's like, what if we just duck into these kids' heads for a second? Sure. Um, there's like a there's like a scene where Josh is like that. All the kids are referring to it as juice, and they're like a couple of <laughs> a couple You're of ecto cooler blood. A couple of kids are like hanging out. And Josh, like, accidentally knocks his cup of juice over, and his mom flips out because there's, like, only so much blood. And he doesn't understand. Like, I just knocked some juice over. It's cool. Just pour me some more juicy juice. Mm-hmm. No, there's only so much juicy juice to go around. So, I don't know if we mentioned everyone in the chat is very upset <laughs> about this whole situation. It's a pretty rough book. And the person who recommended that we read this was Glenn. Glenn, who is in the chat right now. So, like, if you just have thoughts on, like, how this whole thing has gone down, <laughs> like, just let Glenn know how you feel yeah, about it. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, I think the... Glenn says he can't have a Bloody Mary now. Oh, man, the <laughs> oh, chat no. is popping off. <laughs> Um, <laughs> everyone's really mad at Glenn right now. I'm really sorry about this mob that I <laughs> incited. I will say that the the <laughs> I can't stand this. Um, the societal collapse stuff on a micro scale, I think, works pretty well, and mm-hmm. I think we get like a couple of different perspectives. 
that are unfortunately a little like as I, as I said before, a little one notey over the course of the book of like Doug's a provider who's fighting against the system. He is a like doesn't trust the government, etc. There is a reference to like he thought the government was going to take his guns away part. Um, he is worried about corporations like controlling society and he's just going to take care of his zombie kids. So like uh-huh. people's um, as I as Dewey said in that quote I read earlier, like he lays out a type for each character, and instead of really um, having the situation change them, it has them all like double and triple down on the people that they were, and so it's a it's an interesting arc in that way where it's like, oh, I was the person who wanted to do this for my kids and I will do that until I die because that is how I prove that I love them. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a bloody book. Mm-hmm. That's all I got. I don't have anything else to say. Cause <laughs> <laughs> folks in the chat were, were, um, were comparing this to the vibe of our episode about the girl next door, which sure. like, also was very uncomfortable yeah. but for for different reasons and, and for because that one was like based on a true story and it's a yes. it's more grounded in reality i think it's still like firmly worse mm-hmm. but yeah i think so i yeah, it's a it's it's got a similar vibe just because like when bad stuff happens to kids on like a big scale and and it makes you and it's just like real enough to make you consider like what your reaction would be or yeah like the fact that we're all reaction like would be yeah, yeah I, I want to give Delouis credit here because we are all pretty repulsed by it and that's kind of what he wants mm-hmm. and in the inside of the book people are making really awful decisions doing really heinous stuff or having to submit to heinous stuff like i think about the scene where Ramona realizes that this guy is not just going to take her money. He wants more. And she she surrenders to it. And it's pretty messed up. Mm-hmm. And then you buy that. Then she is using, she is soliciting people for sex, like, online, I guess. And then, like, killing them in her house <laughs> to give blood to her son. <laughs> and it's, like, um, And you watch a character make that choice. And you're like, that is awful. I don't I hope I would never do that. And the the he does really want you to think about if you would do that. Like I don't I can't stress that enough. It's really sad and and bloody and gross. Mm-hmm. But it isn't again. I think the book succeeds because it isn't too graphic. The stuff it asks characters to do and has them to is like really rough in your imagination. But he does not belabor the points in like spelling out what's happening on the page which i think actually works in its favor he's Mm -hmm. not like relishing the grossness of it which i think was a thing that really turned me off during girl next door Mm -hmm. um yeah so who wants to uh so kid blood book kid blood book blood Yeah, tool, toolbox or whatever it was. Tool, tool set. Tool set. I was thinking it sounded like a computer software thing. <laughs> like if your kids' last words were like APIs, <laughs> but it's firmware update. <laughs> your computer has performed an illegal operation. If you were infected by a virus. That was gonna change the world, and you only had a few minutes to live, and you want you had some last words. You can send them to us at overduepod at gmail What would you say in that scenario? Everybody, please just go hug your sweet, alive, blood filled kids. <laughs> You've got all your blood, and they've got all their blood. Never the twain shall meet. You know. Um, hit us up on twitter.com slash overduepod or facebook.com slash overduepod if you uh, are seeking an apology for this blood book um, Andrew where do folks go if they want to know more about our blood hey, show go to, go to com. up there we got links to iTunes and our RSS feed and our Google Play page 
Uh, subscribe to those, and uh, you will be spared in the coming Kid Blood Apocalypse. Mm-hmm. And also uh, rate and review us. It makes us feel good and helps us rise in them rankings. Um, I don't know if I have anything. We got a Patreon feed. This is, this is, again, brought to you by Glenn, one of our Patreon donors. He used his book recommendation to make us do this, but you could make us do anything. <laughs> Uh, if you donate a certain level per month, we'll we'll put one of your books on our our list and bump it toward the top of the queue. We kind of like we've talked about before. We we kind of we try to balance like um, gender diversity and and author diversity and, and and a lot of different things when we're putting together each each month's schedule. But yeah, we will definitely read your thing if you uh, donate at a certain level. Um, Craig, I think like next month's bonus is some more stop Homer time, yes. which may have some blood in it, but probably not this much blood, which feels weird to me. <laughs> yeah, not as much like, as it this. It feels like classical myths should have more blood in it than just like any given book on average. It should. <laughs> you would think the Iliad probably has more blood than than the Odyssey. <laughs> Glenn, I hope you know that we all we're all we're all chill in here. I actually we're really up. enjoyed reading this book for the show. I and the really chat has been pop- this has probably been our rowdiest chat in any of our bonus episodes so far. So thanks for showing up, everybody, and uh, we'll we'll catch you next time. Until then, try to be happy. We're bloody. That was a HeadGum Podcast.